Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here this morning to share with you from the Word. We're starting off a new series this morning um, as we uh, are uh, going through the season towards Easter, at, uh, at commonly called Lent by many, uh, many of the Christians across the globe. Um, um, so uh, one of the reasons why I like this season is that uh, many people are... Um, uh, Lent is a season where many people are actually being a little bit more intentional about their spirituality. The reason I like, also like that is that you're not doing uh, this journey alone. You're not seeking intently uh, alone. And so I uh, hope that uh, each of you are, um, uh, are doing something in regards to as, as you anticipate uh, this coming Easter season. Um, I uh, wanted to give you three ideas this morning. I'm going to ask, uh, I think, Wing on and... Uh, well, who else was? Uh, Ross was going to hand out a form for me. I don't know if he's still out there. Yeah, that'd be great. If you could, you got it? Thanks. And uh, so I just have uh, just three ideas for, uh, for you in regards to this coming Lent season. You're already in it, but I just want to encourage you just to uh, maybe just to give you an idea or, or two. So uh, you don't have to do any of them. Maybe you're already doing them because you're that spiritual. So that's awesome. But just a, a few ideas. One idea is to have uh, one big ask, I call it. So it's just, just one thing that you're actually seeking God to show in your life. Uh, uh, just to give it to him, to bring it to him, and actually say the words to him. Uh, that, something that, is, that you're actually seeking from God. Uh, that could be a vision from God uh, for, uh, for purpose. Maybe a change in life. Maybe it's a job. Uh, maybe it's a faith step. Um, it's, or maybe it's just somewhere uh, in your journey with God where you just want, you know there's a little bit of a barrier and you'd like to get past that barrier. So just one big thing. Uh, and just bring that to God. Um, it could be a healing as well, a reconciliation with somebody. Um, uh, for some, it could be uh, uh, maybe there's uh, some friction in your marriage and you're trying to reconnect and have a healthier relationship with your wife or your husband. So it could be something like that. So, But don't pick all of them. Pick one and, and seek God in that. Uh, this, the second one is what I have a handout for. Um, uh, it's called uh, Pray for Your Six, it's called. Uh, um, anyways, and that is... Uh, I, if there is pe- there's people in our lives that are sort of on the fringe of our life, and uh, they may not be, these aren't the people that you're hanging out with weekly, but these are just people that are a part of your life. They're kind of connected to you. You Once in a while, you talk to them in your office, uh, that type of thing. Or they're a neighbor that you uh, walk by and say hi to, or, or somebody uh, that you're, enga- you're seeing a little bit more engagement with. Uh, just to write those names down of those people. Maybe it's a family member or whatever it is. Somebody who's uh, on your list. Just write the names down. The reason why I want you to do that is that, um, is that we are called to be a people of prayer, and, and sometimes we wonder why God isn't doing anything in the lives of people around us. Well, I really think sometimes we just don't make the time, and we don't actually, it doesn't actually come to our mind to actually pray for these people. So I just wanted to prime the pump with that. On the back of this page, it's just a bunch of sample prayers, and, uh, and just see what the Lord does with that. Because um, I know Shelby and I, we've been praying for specific people in our lives uh, that have come across our path just in the last few months. And uh, as we pray, it's just incredible sometimes we find how quickly God responds to the prayers that we bring. Uh, whether it be a prayer for a need for somebody, uh, whatever it might be. So just write those names down. Uh, put it on your fridge or whatever. whatever. Uh, take a picture with your iPhone so you don't have to keep the paper uh, but keep the names on file so that you're, you're lifting them. And uh, if anybody has any stories of some of the people they've been praying for during the season, let us know, and we'd love to have a chance for you to share that. 
on a Sunday morning or something in a little uh, during the announcement time like uh, Mary was doing there. Okay, so, and the third one, the third idea is if you have somebody on that list, consider blowing some money on that person. So, think of a way of being generous to that person. You're not buying their salvation. We're not just talking about getting people saved here. Just, how can I love on somebody? And so, uh, look for an opportunity to be generous. Blow some money on that person. But it's it's somebody on the fringe. This isn't your best friend who always brings you coffee. We're talking... uh, like, we're talking somebody on the fringe. And just be generous. And, you'll, it's, just a, and it's just a fun thing to do with people. Uh, and it's just good, a good practice in our life. So those are three ideas. You don't have to do it. But I encourage you to uh, think of some way uh, to engage in, these, in, in a practical way this uh, Easter. So the series that we're in uh, today uh, is called On the Way. And you'll notice in the Gospels, and you can take it also being Jesus is the way, so on Jesus. But uh, a lot of times in the Gospels, the, the phrase comes, Jesus was on the way somewhere. And then this happened. And so, uh, uh, and so today we're going to look at some of the stories. We're focusing mostly on the Gospel of Mark, uh, hopefully. And then uh, uh, and what are some of the things that happen on the way as Jesus is on the way in different cases. So today we're looking at Mark chapter 2. And Jesus is on the way in Mark 2, and he comes across a man by the name uh, who is called the son of Alphaeus, who is known later as uh, the disciple Matthew. Now, we've been doing a study uh, the last uh, five weeks uh, on Tuesday evenings called The Reason for God. And it's kind of a study uh, on sort of skepticism, questions about the reality of God. Does he exist? And if he does, like, what's, going, what's up with him? And so uh, the, general, the general question that came up one time was, you know, there's three kind of beliefs. One is uh, that God does not exist. And so that some people just don't believe, period, that he exists. Then uh, some people's argument will be, well, if he does exist, then he is not good. And that's a, that's a question that some people might ask. And the third thing that some people, uh, that is brought up is, if God, if you say that God is a good God, uh, if you say that he's a good, good God, it is obvious that he has no sense of obligation to be good to us. And people will have some of these responses, even in our hearts down deep where we don't speak about it. We might have these feelings down deep. Well, if God is a good God, I'm not really sensing the goodness of God right now. And so these are some questions or evidences that people bring towards God. Uh, on the flip side, though, however... Um, some of us may have evidences of God being good in our lives. What are some evidence, uh, evidences of him being good in our life? Uh, some, for some people, it's just creation, it's beauty, it's, it's just love. And so this morning, though, we're looking at uh, Mark chap- uh, in the gospel of Mark, and, and the gospel has, a, has something to say about the goodness of God, because Jesus is, uh, it says, in Jesus was everything there was to know about God, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Everything was pointed to Jesus. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know uh, what the Bible is all about, God's testimony is, look at my son. And so we're going to look at different encounters, different stories of Jesus that reveal something about God. And so the story today is God's exhibit, uh, is Jesus is God's exhibit of, of his goodness towards us. You want to know how good he is? Jesus is the, the picture of that goodness. And so today I want to look, to, uh, 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 look at um, one way that Jesus uh, reveals God's goodness, and that's as doctor, as physician. So Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 and let's read together 
Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he, became, he, be, he began to teach. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Um, let's pray before we go into the scripture this morning. Lord God, I just uh, thank you for uh, your scripture, for your gospel, uh, which tells us about your son, which tells us about you. And so I just pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us in some way, in a fresh way maybe this morning, as we look at this encounter with Jesus, uh, with uh, Matthew uh, and the Pharisees. So in your name, I pray that you would just speak through me. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, not just our minds. And I, in your name, I pray. Amen. So this is an early story in Mark. Uh, it's also a story that's early in the three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all of those stories. And in the, uh, verse 17 specifically, Jesus says, um, let me just find that for you. Jesus says, uh, it's not the healthy, sorry, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. I have, come to call the, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. So three things I just sort of want to look at with you right now is uh, Jesus connects in this verse 17 by calling us. He calls them. That's how he connects with us. And the people that he calls are the sick or sinner, and, not, and they're not the, not the healthy people or the righteous people. And the ones that he calls, to the people that he calls, he likens himself as a doctor. Uh, that's kind of the premise he wants to be seen as. He wants to be seen as the physician for us. Now, ironically today, uh, uh, I have a friend that's visiting with me who's absolutely going uh, blushed right now. Uh, and he's a medical doctor up in Owen Sound. He's actually not just a medical doctor, right, George? Uh, uh, I don't call him by his official title because I used to have sleepovers with him, so I can't call him a doctor. He's just George to me, but Dr. You know, Saab over there. He's actually the chief of radiology up there. So anyways, if you want to know any questions, uh, you can't talk to him because he's off the clock today. Um, but anyways, but I was not, I, 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 he has not been here in the last five or so years. And the one time I'm talking about a doctor, he shows up. So this is going to make you feel really good. This is for you, George. I was planning on it. Okay. All about doctors. So, but this is the deal that Jesus is presenting for connection with him. And that is uh, to see God, see him as physician. Um, now, it's, it might actually be slightly uh, counterintuitive to us. But I want to kind of you to explore this idea of doctor or physician just through different examples that I go through for the rest of this morning. Uh, so... Um, so, so for one example, and how does this idea of doctor, how will this affect the way we view God or the way we go to God or the way we see ourselves in front of God? Now, when I'm sick, I tend to be kind of useless to my family, 
I'm a bit lazy. Uh, I, I kind of, uh, I'm a bit groggy. It's kind of the difference between how you feel right in the middle of the day when you're busy at work and the time you wake up in the middle of the night uh, and you're sort of stumbling down the hallway and you can't see. Uh, when I'm sick, I'm, I'm, I feel kind of useless. Um, and I don't feel efficient. But some, there has been times in my life where uh, I remember one time specifically where I was so sick, I, at, the, at the time that I was sick, I was feeling so bad, I had received a letter in the mail from a Reverend Ike. And in the envelope was this uh, piece of plaid. And then with, attached to the plaid was a note. And the, and the, the letter said, if you, uh, if you put this piece of plaid on your face and then send it back to Reverend Ike with a cash donation... He will pray for this, and you will be healed. And I was so sick that I actually considered investing in that. I was that desperate. Um, but uh, I, I was not really at my best. I was even thinking that that would work for me. And so um, some of us actually, so it's a very common thing. For people to go to the doctor, they, there's like a doctor's office syndrome. Um, where we, what, what we think we're going there to, we're afraid that they're going to just be laughing at us. I don't know if you've ever had doctor's office anxiety uh, at all. Uh, some people, when they go to the doctor's office, they are feeling vulnerable. Their blood pressure will rise. Um, there's a little bit of fear sometimes. There's a little guilt or shame about what they're bringing to the doctor. Uh, they're worried what people will think. And, uh, uh, and this is kind of... Uh, and, and then inevitably, if you're talking to your family doctor, he will tell you, you need to stop eating too much, stop drinking too much. And you're like, yeah, I know. Thanks for reminding me. Not that I haven't been trying and failing miserably. So you get that kind of story, right? And, or you need a little bit more exercise. And we're like, yes, doctor, that kind of question. Sorry, George. Um, and if your doctor is a psychiatrist, if your doctor is a psychiatrist, you are praying as you enter the psychiatrist's office. Please, God, don't let anybody see me enter. Because you, you don't want nobody, to, people to know. Not that there's anything wrong with bettering your mental health. Um, so generally, there is confliction for people to go to the office. There's a little bit of a hesitation. Although I will recommend George. Because he is a very uh, empathetic doctor. And he'll be safe if you ever have to visit him. Um, the thing is, though, Here's the thing, though. Most doctors, every doctor basically just wants to be helpful. That's their job. They want to help people who are sick. Sick. I, 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 like their performance, I don't know if it is true, is measured by how helpful they are to the sick. Um, this not only includes doctors. This is, includes all those in the medical profession of nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists. That was for Donna because I know she trains occupational therapists. And... Um, for me, I knew of a, I have had uh, some experiences with some very good doctors in my life. Uh, my first two years of life, I spent in uh, Sick Kids Hospital. Um, they, uh, had, there was something wrong with me. I know some of you are going. I don't know if they fixed it, but that's okay. Um, right now, my doctor is Dr. Rosenthal. I love going to visit Dr. Rosenthal whenever I get a chance because he's uh, he's a very committed Jewish. Uh, person he goes to synagogue every single morning at 5 a.m. with a bunch of men and they study uh, i can't remember the name of the guy one of the main rabbis they were of one of the sects within um judaism and so he discusses things with me because he knows i'm a pastor and it's really interesting to discuss the old testament with him now 
all that to say. My family doctor was my main doctor for most of my life. Um, whenever I went to see him, he actually genuinely looked like he was happy to see me. Um, when I had to move to BC, I had to transfer to a new doctor in British Columbia. And when he found out that I was leaving, he actually called me to say, I'm sorry to hear that you're going. Like, it was that kind of a relationship with this doctor. And uh, I'm sorry you have to go, but just so you know, if you ever come back to Canada, I'll just keep your file and you can come back. That's how awesome he was. He was like, who, who does that? Anyways, now I tell you about my first doctor, my family doctor, because... Um, I saw in him and his example a living uh, representation of Mark chapter 2. Back in the early 80s when what would later be called AIDS or HIV was out uh, and didn't have a name yet, he was one of the early responding doctors to the crisis um, at that time. And nobody knew what to do with it. They didn't know what the disease was. Um, He he did this to much risk. Uh, to him, his own person by treating people with this mystery disease by which many people were being killed by. And so he actually had this conversation with his bi- wife before uh, he got diagnosed later with HIV. Um, he said to her, I am taking every precaution in my treatment of these people, uh, but uh, I may have got the disease, he said to her, without knowing it. And I might be exposing you to it. And at this time, there was no test to the disease. And now his issue of bringing this up to his wife was not whether or not he should stop treating the sick. That's what he does. He's a doctor. He always treats the sick. But his issue that he was bringing up to his wife was whether or not they should cease all sexual intimacy. That was his concern. That was the sacrifice, uh, that one sacrifice that he made outside of when he later passed away from it. But his, which is obviously a big deal. His, um, uh, so, um, And doctors in the time of Christ, here in this story, uh, in Mark chapter 2, like the people in the 80s, did not have cures for the ailments that they were treating. A fellow doctor of my my family practitioner uh, wrote uh, an article about their experiences, and it's actually on the slide. Um, And he wrote an article about their experience. He says, a small group of other doctors willing to treat AIDS patients who didn't have, they didn't have the knowledge or the tools to fight the mystery disease. All they could do was dispense sleeping pills, painkillers, and kindness. Pretty amazing. Uh, So here's the thing. Doctors are people you go to when you're sick. And because... And the reason we do this is we need to go to somebody when we're sick. We need someone. Uh, we might be in isolation. We might be dealing with it alone. We need to talk to somebody about what is harming us. And, and a doctor is somebody who has actually trained themselves to be at ease and good with people when they are sick. That's what they've trained themselves to be. They can handle the things that most people can't handle. I'm not a big biology guy. I wouldn't be good. Um, Think about how you are when you go visit somebody who is sick in the hospital. How comfortable do you feel when you go there? It's not easy for some. Uh, It's hard to be relaxed and calm. And doctors in Jesus' time, they did not have the miracle drugs that we have uh, right now. And and Jesus, who is a true miracle worker, worker, refers to himself in this story as a doctor. So why does Jesus refer to himself in this story as a doctor? So I just want to look at the context. 
And what I want you to note here in, in, this, in the specific story we're looking at is this is not in the context of a healing. So Jesus is not referring him to himself in this story to uh, he had just healed somebody. This is Jesus. He's on the way. He runs into M- Matthew, and then he goes and eats with them. And in that context, he calls himself a doctor. And that's important, I think. It says um, that immediately Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. And it says it. you'll notice in the verse, it says it three times. The Pharisee says, is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And then they ask the disciples, is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Uh, I believe there's some kind of emphasis in this one verse, seeing as it's mentioned three times. And I think it helps us to understand even more about what what it means uh, for seeing Jesus as physician. Um, now, here's the question here. We, we know how tax collectors got their names. They were sellouts, and they, and they got the taxes for, for the Romans. But where did the sinners in this verse get their name from? How did they get to be known as sinners? Um, does Jesus give them that name in this, in this story? Is Jesus calling them sinners in this story? And why is it that the sick are associated with the sinners? Why is that the case? Um, now, in the Greek, the word for sinner, uh, if you look it up, the translation will be sinner. Uh, so, uh, but there is further root words, and one of the main root words is detestable ones. So these are people that are detestable. Uh, people that are uh, not allowed in normal civilization or are out, on, outside of the normal people. And um, now we do have the context that there are, we are sinners before God, and God has the right to determine us to be unworthy before him. Uh, he's God. I'm not going to tell him what to do. But um, it, this is also not just a word for us before God, outside of Christ, but it is also a word that the people of God are giving to the people that are on the outskirts. This is a name that is given to those people by the religious ones. Um, they are called, you'll notice in your Bibles, it has, quote, sinners. That's the name they used for them. Um, I think a better word for this uh, would be maybe uh, those people. I don't know if you ever used that expression. You know, those people. Have you ever heard that expression? I don't know. Um, I'll give you an example. I was visiting a friend out in a suburb. I won't name the suburb because you won't like the story. Um, and uh, he was out in the suburb. Uh, not, nothing against suburbs, but it's just where I was visiting. I won't name where, though. Um, and we were uh, talking about where they live, and they were ta- and, and somehow where they went for their groceries came up, and were having a meal with them. And they said, "I said, oh, you guys got that grocery store just down the street from where your house is. Do you shop? Is that where you shop? Whatever. I don't know why I asked that. It was a really bad question because I didn't like the answer. So my my friends said to me, "Well, no, we don't shop there because those people shop there and they touch the food." Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself to be racist. That would be one of those times. Uh, so when I heard this, of course, I turned the tables over and kicked them out of their own house. That's what I did. So, um, Anyways, joking. But to, uh, to Jesus, not joking about the story, but I didn't turn over the tables, just you know. Um, uh, anyways, to Jesus, um, those people were not those people, but they were his people. That wasn't a name that Jesus gave to those people. That was a name that society gave. It was actually an oppressive word on those people. If people were calling you sinners and you're walking through Toronto, you're never going to be able to rise out of that. 
You've been deemed that. And so this is the, this is the context that Jesus is, into which Jesus is calling himself a doctor. Another example about this is a, a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. He worked in India with lepers, and he's a surgeon, and he was involved in much healing of people in India uh, in regards because leprosy is massive out there. And he was writing about one of, the, uh, one, of, one of the patients that he was dealing with, and he was talking about the power of touch, uh, what happens when you touch somebody, and specifically lepers, is when you have leprosy, you can't touch anymore. So you imagine if you're a leper and you can't even feel and you lose your eyesight, you don't even know what's happening in the world. And so, uh, so he's a very compassionate person. And so um, he writes this story um, about uh, this encounter. And he says, um, uh, writing on this patient that he had healed, I think that the thing that he had appreciated the most in the whole process of scientific rehabilitation and reconstruction is the fact that when he first came into our fellowship, we reached out and took his hand in our hands and we loved him. Oh, I have seen men break down into tears at at that time because they have found someone who would touch them. And this is the authentic mission of the church. Great, uh, just a great uh, uh, image and to stick with in our minds as we think about this this morning. And obviously, Jesus is the one that always touches. And so that's uh, just an incredible image. Uh, why didn't Jesus just, like, wave, wave a wand everywhere he went? Like he wanted to touch, uh, and there's something about that intimacy. And so what doctors of Jesus' time gave their patients, uh, and what my doctor gave patients in the early onset of HIV, and what Dr. Paul Brand in his work with the people in leprosy gave uh, uh, this is this uh, this is what they were they, they were giving he, they were giving this kind of thing. This is what Jesus was giving in Mark chapter two verse seventeen. He's 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 in their lives, and so um, and according to Paul, actually in Romans chapter fifteen, he says that this is the actual heart of the gospel. In uh, Romans chapter fifteen verse seven, um, he says this. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Paul's context in Romans 15 is the same as the context in Mark chapter 2. People are gathering together for meals, and, they, and people within the church are, are trying to exclude the people that they don't consider to be the righteous ones. And so, and, and so they're, they're separating themselves based on their various opinions on the sort of indisputable matters. And so uh, the, the, Paul's message is we need to accept one another into the community meals because this is to be a prophetic sign of the gospel of Jesus. A sign of Jesus that is that we have acceptance of people uh, that are considered the outcasts. Um, plenty of people in Jesus' time uh, got healed by him. But they never received what Jesus actually gives Matthew and the, and the sinners and tax collectors in this story, in this text. And it's a cure that ails you regardless of whatever your health status is. It's what, again, it's what uh, those doctors gave to AIDS patients and lepers. It, um, it's that aspect that Jesus is giving more than the miracle Jesus that he is giving. And this is why Jesus is referring to himself as doctor. 
Now, um, people's res- the response of people to Jesus doing this, uh, they got really upset. They were upset that Jesus was associating with those that were considered sinners and tax collectors. And they didn't realize what he was doing, nor did they want what Jesus was giving. They didn't even want what Jesus wanted to give them. They excluded themselves from Jesus because Jesus was including the other. Now, we never do that. We don't have that problem. Um, But the point is, this is to actually be a distinguishing mark of the church. Um, uh, An authentic aspect of the church is, uh, and of those who follow Jesus, is accepting those whom religion is happy to reject. And this is the heart and soul of the message of this text. And so, uh, and technically, we have a kind of a barrier from salvation from Jesus when we are upset, when he accepts others that we won't, don't want to accept. We have a barrier, not them. And, and somehow there is still within us uh, this inner voice uh, that wants to keep us from going to Jesus as doctor. There's sometimes we just know we need to go to him, but there's some um, inner voice that we listen to and don't actually bring it to Jesus. Um, we're, like, we need to be able to go to him in those times. There is always some kind of resistance that is within us that, that go, wants to go to him. Maybe it's a fear of going to Jesus. Maybe it's shame uh, maybe it's those Pharisee voices that I have to work it off before I go to Jesus or penance or whatever it might be. But Jesus is such a, wa- uh, a wonderful doctor. It is always worth going to him. So I just want to give you one example of me going to Jesus or me going to Dr. Jesus, if you want to call it that. Um, now, I'm going to talk about a kind of a personal story, um, so hopefully I can do it. But I, my purpose in telling you the story is not so you come after me and say, oh, Bill, that was really, you know... I want to I give you an example of how I entered into a process of seeking Jesus in a place that I didn't want to go to Jesus. I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Should I switch now? I guess I should. But anyways, uh, I better grab it just in case. Sorry. Anyways, bear with me. So, sorry. Here we go. Um, deal with it. So, here we go. Um, so, uh, um, so, anyways. Going to Jesus, okay? So my brother... Uh, sorry about that. Just, this is the hard part, so... So my brother uh, died in my house at night while I was sleeping, which is hard. Yeah, that was the hard part. Thank you. Um, Anyways, during the season after this, in the healing time, um, I remember I had a dream once uh, during this period of time. And I had this dream of, uh, uh, in this dream, and Shelby knows, I don't have dreams often. (laughs) There's a point to this I want to tell you, but. Just walk, walk with me, and maybe this is the point for you. So anyways, my dream is I'm driving a car in my sleep, of course. Uh, not sleeping, driving, just so you know. 
And in my dream, I'm driving. And uh, I'm going around, uh, like, driving along the ocean side on a highway there. And this person dry, next to me is, drives, passes me, and goes off the cliff. And he goes off the cliff, and he lands down in the water. And I'm kind of in shock, and I'm just getting out of my car. And I go to the side of the road, and... Uh, and uh, these people who are the other cars in the area uh, say to me, it's too late, there's nothing you can do. I wanted to go down. They said, don't bother, it's too late, there's nothing you can do. So anyways, I, I was thinking about this dream, and whenever I have a dream, I like to see if there's anything in it from God. So I brought it to my uh, spiritual director to sort of process and just to see if there's anything interesting in it and see what they thought. So anyways... Um, after some discernment, she said to me, I think your brain is, is replaying the trauma of the experience. So anyways, and so we talked it through. And then she asked me, um, how are you bringing this to Jesus in prayer? Which is a really good question to ask when you're leading somebody spiritually in discipleship. Uh, it's a typical question. And then, uh, and I said, you mean when I pray regularly? And, uh, and then she said, when you were fresh in the middle of the day, do you ever bring that thought to Jesus? Do you ever bring this to him? And I said, I don't, and at this time I said, I don't like to bring it to him. I don't want to think about it during the day. It's too distracting. So, um, anyways, to which she gently said, well, the next time something happens where this, something about this comes up, excuse me, um, take five minutes of silence and just quiet yourself during that time. Take five minutes of silence and say peace. Just say the word peace. And if anything comes up, bring it to Jesus. So that was, this is just a practice of connecting with Jesus in a different way. So, of course, I was apprehensive because I didn't want to think about it. Um, but I, I did. It was really hard to get going. It was a bit start to get started. So I quieted my heart. I breathed in and out. And I started it. And I just said the word peace and it actually went kind of well for a bit of time so i extended it i kept going for another five minutes and then i said somehow the the the, the this verse from uh jesus in the storm came to mind and the, the idea of peace be still came to mind so i just said peace be still and um and the, uh, and this i kept meditating on this over a period of time why why was it the idea of being peace be still coming to my mind and so I'm thinking about this storm of Jesus sleeping uh, in the storm, in the middle of the storm on the boat. Um, I don't know where he is in the back of the boat. Excuse me. And, uh, and the thing is, Jesus is uh, sleeping in the back of the boat. I'm meditating on it. And Jesus is asleep, and it's okay that he's sleeping. Because like, it's Jesus. He's okay with sleeping at the time. And something, there was something to me that was comforting in this. And then I feel the disciples uh, saying to Jesus, I, I, I replay the story. They come to Jesus and said, don't you know that we are dying here? How can you be sleeping was this verse that came to mind. And it was as though God was saying here that the disciples are blaming and accusing Jesus in this story. Now, my dream was if you could have been there, it would not have been too late. I should have been down there to help. And, the, and so, huh, almost there. And so the peace of Jesus is telling uh, me in this time of meditation that those were not my words. You, 
you're listening, Bill, to the wrong voice. And I'm listening to the voices in my head. And Jesus is saying to me, he is at rest be, and peace, be still. And so this went for 10 to 20 minutes. And the effect for me was very healing, obviously, and calming. And this is typical of Jesus. Like, who can he heal like Jesus? It's pretty amazing. So anyways, just to finish. Today, I want to leave you with a reflection um, for, this, for this week. And thinking about Jesus' doctor, what if Jesus took, you know what the Hippocratic Oath is? Every doctor, when they start as a doctor, they take a, take a Hippocratic Oath, um, which is like this declaration that they're not going to hurt people and stuff like that. Uh, they're going to only treat people and take care of them. And one of the stanzas in uh, the Hippocratic Oath is that a commit to not harm anyone, to do no harm. Uh, and so I want you to uh, think about that. Uh, but I want you to imagine Jesus taking the Hippocratic Oath. But I want you to do so by looking at uh, Romans 13, verse 8 to 10. But I want you to apply it to uh, Jesus' oath towards us. Jesus doesn't ask anything of, of us that he doesn't expect of himself. And so... Um, so I just want to read this to you, and we'll, we'll finish with this. Okay. Uh, thank you for bearing with me, but I felt it was a good thing to go into this morning. Uh, so verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law, right? Love is fulfillment of the law. All is summed up in love, right? So the com- you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there is, is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to the neighbor. And if Jesus has a commitment to the neighbor, which includes us, And if we're honest with ourselves sometimes, we think that God is going to harm us. But Jesus has taken this oath to not do harm to us. He is the good doctor. And so, uh, if this is true of Jesus, we can come to him with anything without fear of uh, of things becoming worse.